Greetings, everybody. Today I'm going to be talking about feeling loved by God. So many times we say that God loves us and we say that we feel loved. And I think we many times confuse gratitude with the feeling of feeling loved. What does it mean to feel loved by God? I've put a post on Facebook asking people, why would they say are they loved by God? And I would say most people basically said, because the Bible says so, or because he says so every day. Uh, but I think it is a fundamental question to ask in showing where our belief is about the love of God. Many people say, because Jesus died for me. Uh, some said, because Jesus was raised from the dead, and so forth. Now, if I think in my life on why God loves me, what makes me feel loved? There was a time in my life where I would say, I feel loved because of the wife I have, or because I've got healthy children, or because God has given me a ministry and I can preach the gospel to people. I feel loved because when I have a meeting, people came to the meeting and we could experience the presence of God or uh, the supernatural, or uh, if the ministry got a financial donation, I would feel loved by God. Now, that uh, when those things happened, it was a powerful emotion in my heart. But I would say, uh, in hindsight, it was actually gratitude. It was not the feeling of love. It was not uh, that was not what made me feel loved by God. Later on, as I discovered more of the gospel and what the gospel is, I've come to the conclusion that God really loves me. And I want to go and look at um, this uh, a, a broader understanding of the gospel and then the emotion of feeling loved. Everyone wants to feel loved by God. Now, um, if we go and look at the writers of the New Testament, and we go and look especially at John and the Apostle Paul, and we look at why they said they felt loved by God, uh, I believe we'll get a good understanding of what the message was that caused the early church to say, we are truly loved by God. We must remember that in our world that we live in, we live in a very, and I believe it was the same back then, but we live in a, a materialistic world wherein we measure breakthrough and the love of God by our possessions and by how well it goes with us in this world, by how healthy we are, by how financially secure we are, and so forth. We measure that. We measure the love of God by that. Now, I want to say that to have gratitude towards God for that is not wrong. I mean, Paul says that he's got great gratitude and he continually thanks the Lord for uh, the faith that he sees in people. When he sees his churches and the churches planted prospers in the sense of having the gospel and living by faith and that there is peace in the church. He gratitude towards those that would give 
towards him. There's gratitude and he thanks God for that. He's grateful to the Lord and it brings praises to God wherein people thank God. Uh, so I want you to know that we are not belittling or uh, looking down on gratitude. There is, the Bible even says that grace is the divine influence upon the heart, the reflection in the life and also in the definition of grace includes gratitude. So grace will bring gratitude to your heart, gratitude to what God has brought forth in your life. But we want to look at uh, John. What does John say makes him feel loved? Before I get to the reading, I'm going to do three, three verses today. John 3, uh, 1 John 3 and Romans 5, and then we can maybe touch a little bit on Romans 8 uh, verse, uh, from verse 32 uh, round about there. When we look at our world, we've had a gospel wherein we have said, well, if I can be healthy, if I can be prosperous, uh, then the blessings of Abraham is upon me and I am loved by God. But your subconscious mind will never be satisfied with that definition of love. You will never be satisfied. God loves me because of um, the finances or God loves me because of the health or the protection of my family or those kind of things. Because you know in the back of your mind that someday one of your family members is eventually going to die. Uh, you know that. It is something that is in the back of your mind and it cannot go away. You might say, well, let me give a good example. Imagine you feel loved when you can jog out in the countryside. What about the day when you get old and cannot jog anymore? Will you then say, I don't feel loved? Because if your emotion or the feeling inside your heart is based on, I feel loved when these things happen to me, what will you say when you get persecuted for the gospel or like the Apostle Paul sitting in the stocks in jail, sitting actually in the feces of other people, but he's praising God and feeling gratitude. What made Paul when he was beaten? Remember, Paul says that he suffered under robbers. That means that the Apostle Paul was not protected from robbers. Now, we don't even want to hear that. Because we have got a concept of God and our security in God is actually based in the security of our stuff and our love in this, uh, life in this world. Now you might say back to you, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear this. I want to bring you a message and I want to bring you what the Lord has brought to my heart that has made me feel loved. Now in my life, I've got a house, I've got a car, I've got a healthy, a healthy wife, healthy kids, it's going well with a, in the normal sense of this life. But I want to say that is not why I feel loved. That I'm grateful, very grateful for that. And I don't wish that to be away. Yet that is not what defines the feeling of feeling loved. I almost want to say before I had a certain understanding of the gospel, I've never felt loved. I thought I felt loved, but I confused Feeling loved with gratitude or just being happy that I've got something. That is, that is what, I, what I had. But God has come that we can actually feel loved. I think of Dawn Warner, one of our web pastors. She doesn't have 
I mean, she's lost one of her legs in a motor car accident when she was 17 years of age, or 16 or 17 years of age. Um, if I say, I feel loved because I can walk, what must Dawn say? How's she going to feel loved? Because, I mean, she doesn't have a leg. Can she now only feel loved once she gets a leg? Or if I feel loved because of the health of my family, what about those that has lost loved ones, that has been at a place where they've, they've lost a loved one, they've um, or got, got a divorce, or whose child doesn't believe in the Lord, or who is not ex friends, who is not excited about the gospel? Uh, what about the poor in Africa? I mean, in South Africa, we look at what's going on in our country and we are calling upon the Lord and we would say, God love us, He's healing our nation. So we can feel loved by God when our nation is healed, but what about the Christians in Zimbabwe? Can they not feel loved by God? Zimbabwe lost its economy. I've just seen a video now I don't know if it was when it was recorded, but people lining up at shops to get food. There is no food. Standing close to each other, pressing, pushing just to get some food. I remember when I drove through that country and there was just nothing on, on the shelf. You walk into a shop and you find maybe three bottles of water there. No electricity, pitch dark in the shop, but the shop's open trying to sell the three or four bottles of water. But there's no money. Where money blows in the street because it's got no value. People throw it away. Now those people, can they feel loved by God? Or can they not feel loved by God? And the question is, so many times, that is how, how we find things amazing. I look at outreaches. When we do outreaches in Africa and people from overseas come, the first thing that amazes them is they say, these people have got nothing and they're happy. These Christians have got nothing, but they're happy. What makes them happy? What is the cause of joy? And that is what we are after. And we want to define uh, why John said God loves him. Now, I want to read Webster's definition of love. And those that follow my ministry, you've heard this before. But I'm going to explain this again. I want to say to you that God, the Almighty, loves you. And there is a certain way wherein he expresses that love to the point that the richest person can feel loved and that the poorest person can feel loved. All people can feel the love of God equally. And I will tell you, should people um, have a revelation of this, we will, we will find a lot of trouble in our country's stop. Because we will find the person that has a lot not finding a need to hoard up all the time, but finding a generosity in his heart and not a fear. And we will find the man that has nothing, not lusting after the man that has things. But both of them can be equally happy equally joyful. I want to tell you, it's possible for a person that drives a luxury car to, and a person who walks the street that will never own a car to be equally happy. It's possible for a person that lives in a shack in the Cape Flats to be as happy 
as a person that lives in a nice house that's got a stable income. Because that which the love that God has provided towards us, now I'm not just talking about happiness, I'm talking about feeling truly loved by God. Feeling truly loved by God. It is possible for both of them to feel equally happy, equally joyful, have equal amount of worship in their hearts towards God because they both feel completely loved by the Almighty God. Now I want to say to you again that God truly loves you. The Almighty God is a being that has got emotions. He's an emotional being. He's got reasoning. He's got thinking. He, he can think about things. He thinks about things. You know, when God made you, he first fell in love with the very thought of you. A thought of having someone like you. It's the same as what a father and a mother, they fall in love with the idea of having a child. And then they love that child even before that child was born. They, I mean, the first thing they have is they, they feel, man, let us have a child. And then from that love, thoughts come. Thoughts about, uh, well, we, we cannot just have a child in this house. Let us prepare a room for the child. Let us have some things for him. Let us prepare things for him. And your, your thoughts start to go. It's like ministry. Uh, you, I remember when I just received the Lord, I had the idea of preaching the gospel to the world. And I fell in love with that, with that idea. And from that idea uh, came thoughts on how to get that to manifest. And my, all my thoughts was born from that. In the very same way, I want to say to you that God is a being that can feel, think, reason, and all of that. And that He's not just this monotone power force. He is a person. And this God loves you. And His love for you can be described in love terms, in love language. Webster's define love as to be pleased with. To regard one or to regard another with affection on account of qualities which excites a pleasing sensation or desires of gratification. You know, God has got a, a, a desire of gratification. He's got gratification in his heart about you or when he sees you. He's got a pleasing sensation. When he thought of man, he had a pleasing sensation inside him. And that pleasing sensation that he has is described by Webster's Dictionary as the feeling of love. God has that towards you. Uh, the, the word love means the, the affection of the mind excited by beauty. You know, you are you, a human excites the mind of God. A human uh, has an affection on the mind of God because of the beauty of a human. Because of the value of a human. Because of the qualities which communicate pleasure to God sensually and intellectually. So what it means is that you stimulate God 
intellectually, in his feelings and in his emotions, you stimulate him. God does feel those feelings. But the question is this, how do you know that God feels those things? No, I, I, I just feel it. Okay, but then tomorrow you've got a bad day or you feel depressed. Then you don't feel that God loves you anymore. And you've got this roller coaster Christianity. The one day you are in the clouds and the next day you are spreading the gospel for you are excited about God and then you lose your job or you get ill and you pray and the, 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 the prayer doesn't work. Or if we think of South Africa, uh, if we think of different places in the world, what's going on politically, some, world, some areas is going well, other areas... I mean, Lord, what, what are we doing wrong? Are you not pleased with us? We find that all the time. When it goes bad, then people want to confess sin because God is now not pleased with us. And he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't love us anymore. He doesn't love us anymore. And he cannot express his love towards us. And he's judging us because it's going, we're going through a difficult time. And we've got this up and down, up and down, up and down Christianity. So I want to say this, and, and as an introduction, this is, this is 17 minutes into the message, but I want to say this, and just take this. The question is, how do you know that God is stimulated in His uh, um, intellectually, sensually, in all of His feelings, that He loses His breath over you? How do you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you even if you would lose all your property how do you know how do you know that you are communicating pleasure to God that he is excited his mind his thoughts is excited by your beauty as what a father is excited, uh, his thoughts gets excited or made alive or life is put in, into his thoughts on how to provide for a child even before the child is born. How do you know that God feels that way towards you as a human being? And that is very important because if you can know and if that can be solid and stable, you'll find your emotions start to stabilize you'll start to find your thoughts start to stabilize. It's not kind of, I'm trying to confess positive and all those kind of things. I want to ask this before I read the first verse. How many people does it take to move God? And what must these people do in order to move the hand of God in a nation? Now I want to say to you what Jesus said. Because we can think that if we do certain things as a nation, I'm speaking for South Africa, and this is true for many nations where there are Christians in, where people are going through difficult times. We are thinking, what shall we do that we can move the hand of God? What can we do as Christians? Can we pray together? Can we fast? Can we spread the gospel? What can we do to move the hand of God? Now the question is, what do you think needs to take place in order to move the hand of God? I want to say this. Do you know what it takes in order for God's hand to move? Just one lost person that's not even calling out to Him. Let me say it again. What does it take to move 
the hand of God, one lost person that doesn't even call out to him. That's what it takes. But that cannot be true. I want to tell you that Jesus came and he said that he would leave the 99 sheep and go after the one lost sheep and he will seek it until he finds it. Jesus is not saying until my sheep are blaring, until I cannot take their blaring anymore, I will move. Now all it takes is one lost sheep. I want to say to you, in order to say a sheep is lost, you have to declare that it belongs. In order to call it lost, you have to declare that it belongs. So I want to say to you that you, whole of humanity, belongs to God. The life that you live might not be born from God. It can be born from the devil. But you, all humans, belong to God. And the sheep that is lost is God's sheep. It's God's person. In order for God to move, you just need one lost person. And I want to tell you, when Adam was lost, he didn't call out to God. God called out to him. And we are thinking that, and this is how we define the love of God. We've defined the love of God so much in stuff and in things and how it goes in our finances, in, in our country and in all those kind of things. We've defined the love of God so much in that that we cannot feel loved unless God heals those things. We cannot feel loved. I'm not saying God will not provide. I'm telling you God can provide. I'm telling you first seek the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you. For God knows that you've got need of these things. And you can have great gratitude for these things. But that's not what's defining. Uh, and that's not what will cause you to feel loved. I want to go so far as in the measure of understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The measure where you will feel loved. And I want to explain that. John 3.16, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now here John comes and he says God loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. So God loved the world. So what did the world do to move the hand of God? Nothing. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. The fact that they were lost moved God. We have thought that in the measure wherein we leave our sin and repent of our sin, we're going to move the hand of God. I want to tell you that's not how it works, my friend. That's not how we define love. The only thing that's needed to move God is for you to be lost, for you to believe something wrong. Then God moves. If you ask me, what will it take me to move, if to, to do something on behalf of my children or to help them or to save them or to deliver them? What will, ta what will it take from me? Well, what will, wh what will it take in order for me to, I mean, if my son is in a motor car accident, he doesn't have to call me. I must just find out about it and I move already. If they just drive somewhere, you know, I 
I would give them advice before they do anything. Whatever they do, if anything goes wrong, I'll move without them calling. I'll move. It is for them to believe in what I do, to actually appropriate what I've done. But in order for me to move, I don't need nothing from them. I don't need their prayer. I don't need their confession. I need nothing. In the same way, God loved the world. And while we were yet sinners, He gave His Son. How much more will He not with Him give us all things? So why would we go and think, you know why? It's because we don't understand what it means to be loved by God. We don't understand what it means to be loved by God. John says, for God so loved the world, and now he's giving the reason why John felt that he was loved. If John had, if John, the Apostle John had to answer my Facebook post, what would he have written? He would have written, I believe, God loves me because he has given his only begotten son. And that would not even be the real reason. The real reason is in the next verse. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what he's actually saying is, God loved me so much that he made it possible for me to have immortality. So John's definition of love is connected in God wanting and making it possible for man to have eternal life. Now I want to say this. Um, the, we find this in John, John 3.16. He says, For God said not His Son to condemn the world, but the world so He might be saved. Saved from what? From death. That's what He's just called eternal life as what we would receive. And now He is saying that we might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. So what John is saying here is that God loves the world so much that He's granting man to have the very life of God. Eternal life. And I want to define eternal life not just as going to heaven. Eternal life, and you've heard me say this before, and if you watch this on television and you don't know what I'm talking about, go to my website, dynamicministries.com or bertiebrits.com. You can go and listen to many of my messages there explaining this. Or you can simply just ask God to explain to you what eternal life is. Eternal life means the following. Eternal life means to live forever and never die. That's what it means. So what does it mean if you don't have eternal life? It means you will not live forever and you will die. Eternal life means eternal existence inside the quality of God's life. Now the problem has come in where we have defined how we've defined eternal life. We've made eternal life a very common thing. We've made eternal life so common that everything and everyone possesses it. And that comes from the original lie which is of Satan. Wherein Satan has said, man cannot die. God says, God said, you will die if you eat of this tree. Then the devil said, no, 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 no. You will not surely die. But God knows that you are a self-existing one. God knows that you will be like him. You will be a self-existing one. You've got the ability to self-exist forever. You can live or self-exist forever. You don't need God to live forever. 
You don't need the life of God to give you life. You've got eternal existence by yourself. You will not die. That is exactly what, what uh, a Satan taught. And we believe that today. We even believe that today. And we've made eternal life so common that we teach it this way. You're going to live forever anyway. It just depends where you're going to live. You're either going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. But you're going to live forever anyway. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Paul never taught that. Paul never taught that you can just live forever anyway. You must choose where you're going to live. No. What the Apostle Paul taught, what John taught was that you have the opportunity to live forever. And that is what God has come to give us. We need to realize, and I've hammered on this in many of my teachings, but I want to preach this until I feel that the church is grabbing a hold of this. Eternal life or immortality belongs to God alone. Eternal life or immortality belongs to God alone. It's a very rare thing. Eternal life, you cannot find it anywhere. It, the only place you can find it is in one being, and that is God. No one else possesses that. Only God. You cannot find eternal life from an angel. You cannot find eternal life from a devil. You, can, you don't even have it by yourself. God said from the beginning, listen, by yourself you will just die. But I want to give you eternal life. And here we find that John has got places such a high value on eternal life that he defines and he actually says, and he goes so far as to say, that God loses his breath over us. That's the word agape from the Hebrew word agab there. That God loses his breath over us. He breathes after us. He, his mind is, uh, uh, comes to life when he thinks of us with plans to preserve our lives because we're very beautiful. And the reason why I say that is he wants to share with us which only he has and not with anything else. He's sharing it with us. So here was the almighty God, the God that has got no beginning and no end, that lives forever. And he says that I'm going to make it possible for a human to have what only I have. Now that means, and that communicates love. You know, I want to say this. Unless we can understand that eternal life is very scarce. It is not a common thing. It's not something that everybody inherently has. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is something that we can have when we believe upon Jesus. And what he says here is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten son doesn't mean baby Jesus. We're going to look at that. That whosoever believes on him should not perish or die, but have everlasting life or to be saved from perishing or dying or corruption and that they could live forever, exist forever 
inside the quality of God's life, which is a life of love and mercy and kindness. That is what it is. So John's definition of love or the reason why God says or John says that he's loved by God is the revelation that God has granted eternal existence unto sinners. And that means he will not keep man as a sinner, but those who believe upon him will be delivered from sin, will be delivered from death, and live with God forever. In other words, if I can use other words to say this, this is it. God so loved the world that he comes and sets them free from their sins. But the, 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 what we've heard was, we need to get free. We need, Jesus died for us. He bled for us. And look how much he loves us to the point that he was willing to suffer for us. But we don't understand why he suffered. The reason why he suffered is not what defines the love. The, the, what defines the love is why... It, it, let me put the... Sorry, let me get my words correct here. Let me rephrase. The fact that Jesus died is not the only thing that shows that he loves us. It is what he tried to accomplish. It's for, let's say, for instance, my son gets... Uh, the other day, he got a, um, a fine. He didn't stop properly at the railroad a railroad track so there's a stop in south africa we don't have all those booms at the railway tracks it's just a stop street stop there stop sign and he didn't stop completely put up the handbrake and pulled away so he like just slowly rolled over and then they gave him about a 300 dollar fine 250 dollar fine for that now he's a student and he doesn't have the money to pay that now I am going to pay that. Now, if I pay that, why am I paying that? Must he say, you know, my dad loved me so much that he paid that. That's not why I pay. I'm not paying that because he's got a debt. The reason why I pay that is because I want him with me and I don't want him in jail. That's why I'm paying that. He should say, my dad loves me so much that he would pay something to have me with him. Or oh, my dad loves me so much that he wants me with him. That is, I don't want my son to say, my dad loves me because he bought me a car. My dad loves me because he gave me money. My dad loves me. No, no. I want him to say, my dad loves me because he wants me with him. He wants my presence. And that is what John was actually saying here. He was saying that God wanted the presence of man forever with him. And what only he possesses, he wanted to put in man and unify him with himself. That is what John is saying here. Let's read uh, quickly 1 John 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So what is he saying here? He, say, he doesn't say, behold what manner the, love, uh, uh, the Father has bestowed upon us that we will never be persecuted for righteousness. Or behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we can be sure of great business deals. I cannot guarantee you great business deals. 
I cannot. What I can guarantee you is that our God can give you contentment even if you just have clothes and a roof over your head. I can guarantee you that God, through His resurrection, can bring forth inside you a life that is so robust that no amount of poverty would be able to dictate to you what to do with whatever you have to the point that what happened to the poor churches in Macedonia that they, even above their ability, was generous out in the midst of their great poverty because of the magnitude of their liberality through the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus. That I can promise you. I can promise you that. I can promise you security inside the resurrection of Jesus. But I cannot promise you that your business will always do. I mean, Paul even comes and he, he says, Peter comes, he says to the rich, he says, he says to the rich because they knew there were persecution coming. He says, let the rich minister to the poor. And then when they lose everything, then those poor will help the rich again. <laughs> that's, that's what he was saying. No, Bertie, I don't want to hear this message because this is not the true man. I want, listen, go and ask God to show you why John said, why Paul felt loved. Paul suffered under robbers. Bible says that. He suffered under robbers. I've said that to you guys. He said, I've, I've been in shipwreck. I've been in this. I've been in that. I've been in this. I've been in that. I'm not saying believe that that will happen to you. I'm saying to you that, I mean, it might never even happen to you. I've never suffered all the things the Apostle Paul. I've never been beaten. Well, that's not true. When I was in university, uh, there was a time when they put a bag over my head. I mean, they did it over all the first-year students there, and then they beat me because I believed in Jesus. But I didn't, I didn't have what... Um, what Paul had, how he was beaten, and still he, wa he felt loved by God. Felt loved by God. Why? Because John, that was boiled in oil and didn't die, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. A son is, and this is what son means, to be equal with God, to have eternal life or immortality. So what God, the only immortal, according to Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, says God is the only immortal. And now he says that this immortality, those who seek that, God will grant eternal life to them in Jesus. And John says that is the love of God. That's why he felt loved. So I would say, and I couldn't say this some years ago, but now I can understand. I feel loved not because, um, because God sees me as a beautiful person. I feel loved by God because if someone, the only possessor of eternal life and immortality, comes and we as sinners which did not believe upon him wherein man by his own works tried to live by his own power and tried to make himself a God and did not love God or trust him 
if we in that state, if he in, looked at us in that state and says, I want them, I will deliver them from sin, and I will clean them up, and I will give them the very life only I have, the thing that is the scarcest thing that can be found. You see, what we've done is, he says, I will give them that. That's defined as love. That is defined as love. That's what is love. And once that revelation settles in your heart, you will feel loved for the first time. I want to tell you that. Now, it is it's difficult to say, to say that because many of us, we say, well, I feel loved by God. I've walked this path. You know how much I've taught on the love of God and how loved I felt by God. But as this revelation has dawned on me and I realized what immortality, bodily immortality is, when I realized I am not a spirit, but I'm a human. And when I realized that me in my body is granted eternal existence, which is not a given, but a gift through Jesus that God made it possible, when I realize that I can actually completely die and that I can now have access to what only God has, I saw that as a gift and my mind says, I want to tell you, I felt loved for the first time. My body felt loved. I want to tell you, your body will not feel the emotion of love. You will not feel that God loses his breath over you if you have to settle with a thing. Well, I'm just going to die and my spirit's going to leave my body and I'm just going to go to heaven and stay there forever with God. You're not going to feel loved because you are a very big part of you is body. Body. If I take your physical brain out of your body, you are dead. You died. Your body died. No, but I, the body means, we, we've got this thing that the body just means nothing until your daughter gets raped. Then all of a sudden the body does mean something. Until somebody wants to chop off your arm, then the body all of a sudden means something. Or until your body gets cancer. My goodness, you will spend everything. You're not going to, who, when his child gets cancer, says, ah, oh, the body means nothing and he's just going to be with the Lord because the body means nothing. Just let the body die and let the spirit be saved from this body and let the spirit move on. No one says that. No one in his right mind says that. Why? Because intrinsically inside us, we see the value of a complete human. But we have not preached eternal life. We've preached Going to heaven. We've not preached eternal life. And John comes and he says here, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we might be called the sons. We as humans might be called the sons of God. And Jesus was vindicated and shown to be a son by the bodily resurrection. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me read uh, uh, quickly John 3 again there. He says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Only begotten doesn't mean baby Jesus, neither does it mean Jesus on the cross. Only begotten is defined by uh, Paul in his uh, teaching in Acts, and I want to read that to you. Hear this. Acts 13. And I want to read here from verse... Um, just find the right verse here. Uh, 
Verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that He has raised up Jesus again. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. This day, let's read it again, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that He raised raised Jesus from the dead, as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, and now he defines what son means, this day I have begotten you. When was Jesus begotten? He was begotten when he was raised from the dead. Now he says, for God so loved the world that he gave unto the world a physical, immortal human which can make intercession by his immortality for the mortals so that he can save them to the uttermost, which is give them immortality or eternal existence as physical beings. That is the love of God, my friend. That is why John said that God loves him. That is why he said, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed us. He didn't say, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, that I can have a very nice motorbike or car. <laughs> no, behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, that we who were perishing and bodily dying, that does not have eternal existence, was granted the only eternal existence and quality of life there is, which is God's. I want to say to you, unless you have this, or let me put it this way, you will feel loved by God. But what John wrote here, now I don't want to say exclude you, but I want to just speak the truth. What John wrote here, unless you see immortality as a gift, you will never be able to write this. You will say, God loves me because he healed me. God loves me because He blessed my children. God loves me because this. God loves me because that. God loves me because that. And your definition of love will actually be defined as gratitude. Gratitude. Because what about the one who did not get healed of cancer? What about the one whose child died? What about the one that doesn't have a good house? What about the one that doesn't have what you have? I see that all the time. I look at people and I look at how God has prospered me uh, financially. And I look at, um, man, I, I want to just say this when it comes to financial. I've always seen myself as rich. Always. Because that's what, what uh, um, contentment does. You don't see your lack. You, you are possessed with eternal strength through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and see no lack. You see what you have. I mean, I've walked in that, and, and, and when I walk in that, I look at someone else that maybe doesn't have the car I have, that doesn't have the house I have. 
You know what? When I look at somebody that doesn't have a house, I can have compassion and I can help him. But I don't have to walk with guilt anymore. Neither do I have to live with a thing, oh, what if that happens to you? Well, you know what? If that happens to me, it might not be as comfortable as what it is now. And that's true. It's very comfortable to go to the petrol station and fill up your car. It's very comfortable. But let me tell you something. I will not feel less loved if I can only put in $5. I'm not going to feel less loved. Why? Because love is defined in the fact that I have eternal existence and eternal life. And what I am does not yet appear. But the day when He returns, what I am will appear. And I will find that I am just like Him. A physical, undying, immortal human being. Paul went so far as not to even call the death of uh, 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 humans, believers. He doesn't even call that a death. He calls the sleep. Because he sees that they have eternal life. <laughs> Glory to God. Isn't that powerful? Hear what I'm saying. God has come and he's granted eternal life to you. Now, we're going to, with this, this is a foundation, a series of about three, that I'm going to talk about the love of God. Because now, with this understanding, we can go and look at scriptures like, um, uh, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Or scriptures like loving your neighbor. What does that mean? Scriptures like love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does that mean? Scriptures like even if you pray in tongues but you do not have love, you are nothing. What does that mean? So now as we find a little bit of a change of definition and we find the framework wherein John defines love and Paul as well, I didn't get to that scripture in Romans 5. The Bible says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And then it refers to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and the fact that we will be justified with the resurrection, immortality. He calls that the love of God. Because that's shed abroad in our hearts, we find a certain life in us. What does all these things mean? You're going to st start to understand 1 Corinthians 13 in such a new way. Glory to God. Well, we've come to the end of this session, and thank you so much that you have slotted in. Um, I want to say to you, God emotionally loves you. And His emotional, intellectual, feeling love towards you is shown in the fact that He says that the fullness of you is preserved forever in the resurrected Jesus. For God so loved the world that He moved and has given unto the world a resurrected human as the intercessor. What it means is, as the end goal, if we're going to put it like that, and the destination of those who believe upon Him. That doesn't live by their works, but by the goodness of God. That they are granted eternal life, exactly like Jesus. What will we be? You will be exactly like Him. Your grave will be empty of bones. Your physical body of this earth will be glorified. Meaning, it becomes immortal, yet physical. And you will be just like the Jesus that appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, the one that Stephen saw in his stoning, 
And the very one that the woman saw, that Mary saw at the grave, the one that the 500 saw when he appeared at more than 500 at one time, the very one that uh, 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 the disciples touched their hands have handled. That's what you would be like. And that's what he's granted you. The fullness of God in a human body. Behold how much God loves you, that he granted the fullness of God to you, human, in a human. Let me put it this way, pause it this way. In him, he says, you lack nothing, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, bodily. The moment you start to see eternal life as bodily, and that is the gift. Your mind, your physical brain will start to release chemicals that says you are loved by the Almighty God. That's what it's all about. Amen, amen. Well, let me not just get started again. Thank you so much for this. And let me just pray for you. Father, thank you that I could minister to these people and they are loved by you, cared for by you and that you smile over their lives. Amen.